0: For RCR TV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, Wi Fi, Small Cell, and much more.
1: Thank God that's God. over. Woo. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Register today for the Wireless Infrastructure Show, the premier national event for mobile network solutions, produced for the industry, by the industry. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. TelecomCareers.com. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings, the folks in the production booth tell me
0: that you caught a, a glimpse of Chris and I's warm-up exercise there before the ad unit, so uh, a rare peek behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, was just You're the, welcome. It's the Audience. way we
1: sort of celebrate. Um, when Sean gets that opener right, we just kind of, all right to sort so, of celebrate it. So HetNet Happenings,
0: this is my executive producer Chris Martin, first time, long time I believe, right? That's right. Well, welcome to the show. We appreciate you uh, joining us, and I look forward to really tapping your your deep, deep knowledge of the uh, wireless telecom industry.
1: It's, uh, it's gonna be a, good, a short show. Good, isn't good it? luck. <laughs> yeah. Good All luck. right. It won't be a very long show. All right. Well, first, I'm, I'm thing, sort of one of those mile wide and inch deep kind of guys. Gotcha. Depth, but very shallow depth. <laughs>
0: right. All right. Well, first up today, we're going to talk a little bit about small cells. This is a recurring topic on this show. It's even right there in the tagline. And, uh, you know, small cells are gonna figure significantly into 5G cellular standards. Right now we have 4G LTE, right? That's the thing. But they're always working on the next big thing, which is gonna be 5G. A lot of the markers of 5G, spectral efficiency, accessing new higher frequency spectrum, and then super dense urban networks. That's where small cells come in. They're exactly like what they sound like. They're tiny little base stations that provide coverage and capacity in a narrow geographic area And they work because they're hooked up to the big cell tower that you're familiar with. So my colleague, Martha DeGrasse had the opportunity to sit down with the gentleman from National Instruments. And they talked a little bit about how small cells are going to figure into 5G networks. Let's sit in on that interview.
2: Welcome back. We are here with Jeff Phillips. He is senior product manager for LabVIEW at National Instruments. Jeff, we've been talking about your research around 5G and I wanted to ask you specifically about small cells. We've heard for several years now that small cells were just about to take off and it really hasn't happened as many people predicted yet. What are you seeing in your research that might actually change the trajectory for, for small cells?
3: Of course, yes. As you, as you mentioned, small cells have been you know, the front runner in 5G research for the last few years. And I I think as you look at the emergence of massive MIMO and millimeter wave as complementary technologies, I really think that the development of those, the theories behind those will help small cell um, get to the point where a lot of the pundits were expecting it to be frankly by this point already. The, The higher frequencies that we're seeing at a millimeter wave will help with the application of densification uh, within the small cell research area. And I think that combining the the theories behind millimeter wave and packing together a higher frequency and at some of the more exotic frequencies like 73 gigahertz will really enable the application of small cell in a higher frequency range where you can really start to take advantage of the, the theoretical advantages behind small cell densification.
2: Okay, great. And you, you did mention 73 gigahertz and, and the exotic frequencies. You know I've heard, I've heard 30, I've heard 60, but, right. but you've probably got a good line on it. What are some of the frequencies that we're going to see?
3: Yeah, so um, the, Nokia, the Nokia network's working example is the 73 gigahertz link, and that's the fastest uh, working link that we've seen. We've seen some in frequencies like 28 gigahertz and 38 gigahertz, um, and some at 60 those are the four kind of primary gigahertz ranges that I've seen um, functionally. 73 is by far the, the, the largest uh, band that we've seen a, a functional link working in.
2: Now, how did these get identified? Just trial and error, try each one?
3: Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, above the six gigahertz range, a lot of that frequency band is, is largely unclaimed, which is where a lot of the excitement behind millimeter wave comes from is because there's just so much more bandwidth available that a lot of the research initially going into 5G were how do we get more bandwidth through just the 6 gigahertz, the under 6 gigahertz frequency ranges. And when you look at the at the Shannon theory, you know, we're, we're already kind of at the edges of signal-to-noise ratio with a lot of the advanced signal processing techniques. And when you've maxed out signal-to-noise ratio, your only other option is to increase your bandwidth. And so going above 6 gigahertz and even into the 28s and the 38s give you just such a wider range of frequency spectrums and now some of the more advanced signal processing techniques and, and using high gain and, and phased arrays give you the advantage to take care of some of the of the loss, the high loss that you typically would have seen in those frequency spectrums.
2: Well, it is exciting. It's Jeff very Phillips, exciting. Senior Product Manager for LabVIEW National Instruments. Thanks again for coming into the studio
3: today. Of course. Thank you.
0: That was our editor Martha DeGrasse speaking with a representative from National Instruments about how small cells figure into 5G. And uh, mentioned earlier 5G is something we talk a lot about here on HetNet Happenings. And uh, any of the viewers want to learn about uh, that a little bit more? We've had some great interviews in the past with uh, Robert Heath and Jeff Andrews from the University of Texas Wireless Communication and Networking Group. Excuse me. These guys are really on the leading edge of that 5G research, and there's some really insightful commentary if you want to check out our archived HetNet happenings.
1: So, Sean, it it occurs to me that, I mean, I'm not like a top-level nerd, but I I do appreciate... Don't sell yourself
0: short. No, but
1: I do self-identify as a nerd, Uh but I, I certainly don't know as much as... You know our, our guest that Martha um, interviewed um, but I, I'm a nerd enough to know that it, I really get sort of chapped when mm-hmm. I'm walking around and I can't get good service mm-hmm. and and I'm in the middle of a city somewhere so is the ultimate goal to make it so that all of my frustrations with that are going to fall by the wayside?
0: That's right. That's your, you know, your heterogeneous network. You're able to move seamlessly from an in-building Wi-Fi connection outdoors to the small cell and then into a big stadium with 70,000 other people. You're connected to the distributed antenna system and you always sort of maintain that robust wireless experience. That's the whole point of
1: it. So I won't have to, I won't have to worry about my Pandora song that I'm in the middle of when I walk out of my building right? being truncated.
0: No, you'll be able to do all of your important texting and internet research seamlessly from anywhere. Someday, we hope.
1: That's Buck Rogers time.
0: Yeah, well, it's something to look forward to. <laughs> you know, Chris, uh, earlier in the week, Chris hosted uh, Angry Dad Gamer, which is a uh, Twitch TV uh, stream that we streamed live from the RCR ATX studio lounge. And, a. I'll tell you the the most insightful part of the program I thought was from your son Grant making his commentary about the Halo Master Chief Edition. There. Yeah,
1: Graham uh, Graham and I started playing Halo recently, and uh, to be hanging out with you know I mean he's eleven, so to be hanging out with a couple of big guys mm-hmm. um, who really know how to play the game and so on, he was he was pretty geeked and excited about the whole idea, whole thing.
0: Well, I mean, his um, his smack talk prowess is, is up there with the best. I, yeah, I, I think know. I learned some new words, <laughs> and I thought I had a pretty yeah, deep bench of swear words. Yes,
1: I, we, we did have a little bit um, of a father-son conversation about a little, a few of the smack talk words. That, yeah. that you it was, encouraged it, right?
0: You're like, hey, that was yeah, a good one, but yeah, maybe if you hit the first syllable a little harder, it'll drive yeah, it home. Yeah,
1: it was a little uncomfortable as a, as a dad, but um, you know. Um, um, C.K. Sample from Chaotic, Chaotic Moon, Moon, yeah, um, did also appreciate it and yeah. you know complimented him on it. So I enjoyed it. I um, I guess that it's hard to you know when a when a real life tech powerhouse mm-hmm. like C.K. Sample um, applauds your smack talk,
0: yeah, you know you're on to something.
1: Yeah, and it certainly um, makes any of any um, discipline on my part sort of. Mm. Tough a cell. little blunt. Yeah. A little right. blunt.
0: Well, you know, we we talked a little bit about a small cell and uh, now we're going to do something we've never done on HetNet happenings before. We're actually going to look into the fiber optic cabling that makes all this stuff I work. Love that. That's the the small cell that's downtown is, you know, I mean, sometimes there's radio backhaul, sometimes there's microwave backhaul, but in a best case scenario, that thing has a line of fiber connecting it right to the base station. Uh, and, you know, fiber, it, it might sound like a dull topic, cabling, but it really is what transmits all the data. That, uh, it's incredible.
1: It's it really, when you talk about fiber optics, it really is that what you're talking about there mm-hmm. is, although it's been around for a long time, it really is. That's Buck Rogers time. I yeah. mean, that you're, you're sending signals through a, gl- a wire made of glass. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that really, I geek out over that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's well, pretty hey. real.
0: You're gonna love this next clip. We had the opportunity to talk with the folks from ComScope. Uh, we spoke with one of their engineering fellows, they Paul Colasar.
1: Down in ComScope, I mean, they're eating—they're eating fiber optics for breakfast. Oh they live, yeah, I mean, eat, breathe,
0: all that stuff. They—they got their hand in a lot, and deep. they're doing some really forward-leaning research. They had a, a really big demo a couple weeks ago out in LA. But uh, you know, let us let Paul Colasar tell you about it. If we could uh, roll that clip, please.
4: Today. We have a couple of grades of what's called laser optimized multimode fiber available, uh, commonly referred to as OM3 and OM4. Uh, these fibers are optimized to uh, maximize the capacity at a single wavelength, which is 850 nanometers, uh, otherwise known as short wavelength. Uh, most, if not all, of the major applications today run at 850 nanometers. Because they take advantage of this uh, window in the fiber, the spectral window, um, to get the most out of it. The OM3 fiber provides us with 2000 megahertz kilometer of bandwidth, and we were able to transmit uh, about 300 meters at. Um, with the on 4 fiber, it offers more than double that bandwidth, 4,700 megahertz, and uh, IEEE has rated the uh, uh, transmission distance on that to 400 meters, or 10 gigabits per second. Okay, so you mentioned—I'm um, oh, sorry, go ahead. When now, so that's that's what we can do today with the, the fibers of today, uh, and they they will transmit greater capacity than 10 gigabits by going parallel. Uh, that is using multiple fibers in each direction. Each one will carry 10 gigabits, or even more than that, at 25 gigabits per second. Um, So we can transmit 40 gig or 100 gig in the parallel fashion, something known as parallel transmission. The new fiber um, is designed to help us reduce the number of strands of glass in each direction by using a different multiplexing technique called wavelength division multiplexing. Now this is a technique that's been commonly used for decades in long haul transmission over single mode fiber. Um, And in that case, we're using single mode lasers operating at 1300 nanometers or 1550 nanometers in that range to go uh, and multiply the capacity of the fiber. Uh, We're going to do the same thing with multimode fiber. Uh, only this time we're going to use short wavelength division multiplexing, which means we'll be able to continue uh, to use the low-cost sources, which were fundamental in delivering the cost advantage of multimode transmission at 850 nanometers by adding a different set of wavelengths at slightly longer values, longer wavelengths than 850. So we'll be having, for example, four wavelengths fit into a 100 nanometer spectrum, so for example, 850 nanometer transmission plus nine, uh, I'm sorry, plus 880 nanometer transmission, plus 910 nanometer transmission, plus 940 nanometer transmission. Putting all four of them together means we can get four times the capacity or reduce the number of brands in each direction by a factor of four. And so we have now two wavelength uh, uh, two multiplexing dimensions to take advantage of we'll have the traditional space division multiplexing with multiple fibers, and onto that, we will add multiple wavelengths and and increase the capacity by a factor of four. So so for example, what that will do for us, um, it'll allow us to take what uh, IEEE has just standardized, um, the second generation of 100 gigabit ethernet, which operates at 25 gigabits per second on each of four fibers. So four times 25 being 100 gig, we'll be able to collapse that down to a single strand of glass with four wavelengths. And we'll be able to take that forward to, say, 400 gigabits per second. And instead of using 16 fibers, be able to use only four fibers. So you can see we're getting a much higher efficiency out of each strand of glass and be able to bring the cost of the cabling down that way
0: and you mentioned the uh, the ieee uh, standard that applies to what we're talking about um can you sort of take us through the research and development that that went into uh, coming up with the transmission scheme and then taking that into a standardization
4: yes i'd be happy to uh, we started working with some transceiver partners and fiber uh, manufacturing partners uh, a couple of years ago making um, uh, well, having discussions on what kind of solutions would benefit both them and us. And what we found was a a great confluence in going with wavelength multiplexing. And um, we knew that we could add additional capacity by adjusting the bandwidth characteristics of the fiber uh, to allow for a broader range of wavelengths to be supported. And the transceiver companies were also indicating that they were moving in that direction. So um, last October, we brought our partners together into the TIA, uh, TR42, uh, into a uh, subcommittee that I chair on optical systems and made a proposal to begin a new project to standardize a fiber that could have this type of bandwidth characterization and therefore support this sort of multiplexing at um, uh, for for future IEEE and fiber channel applications, and I think uh, as I mentioned already, um, 100 gig Ethernet certainly a um, a an application that we could uh, leverage this uh, to 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 its advantage. We could also apply this um, to a second generation of the newly uh, drafted 128 gig fiber channel. Um, That is similarly using four lanes of fiber uh, in each direction. We could collapse those down to uh, uh, one strand as well. And this this would get folks back to the two fiber paradigm that they've been used to all the way up through 16 gig and now 25 gigabit. Uh, They'll be able to extend that to 100 gigabit and uh, get another generation out of uh, that two fiber interface that is uh, so popular.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, if I'm understanding correctly, you can you can really push the the efficiency of the transmission, and that's where you derive the, the major increase in the throughput speed.
4: Correct. When you add another wavelength, you essentially double the capacity. So each wavelength carrying the same amount of information as the previous one just multiplies the capacity of the fiber by that much. And and by the way, uh, you you. Um, uh, wanted to know about what we did at OFC uh, this last um, month. There was a, a big show, a big trade show out in California, probably the biggest optical show on the in the planet on the planet every year is uh, OFC, and we partnered with uh, Finisar, a leading transceiver vendor, uh, to demonstrate their uh, white uh, what they call short wavelength division multiplexing transceivers. Uh, They have designed transceivers at 40 gigabits per second with four wavelengths and at 100 gigabits per second with four wavelengths. So both of these are able to operate on two fibers, one in each direction. Um, They demonstrated their capability on OM4 fiber as well as on wideband fiber. Um, On the OM4 fiber, they were able to transmit 100 meters and on the wideband fiber, 225 meters which tells you that the increased bandwidth of the wideband fiber has come into play by extending the reach. It will similarly extend the bit rate as kind of a trade-off, reach versus bit rate, and uh, it can also extend the application space for the shortwave division multiplexing. So shortwave division multiplexing is a sort of a cornerstone technology Uh, for the transceivers and the wideband fiber, the wideband technology is the cornerstone technology for the fiber. You put them both together and you get an enhanced transmission system.
0: Okay, and so if you can help put this into sort of a practical application context for us, if I uh, am am operating a a data center and am able to adopt this technology, what benefits am I gonna see?
4: Well, you will immediately be able to um, see a reduction in the number of strands that have to be deployed to support these high bit rate applications. You'll, for example, be able to reduce your strand count from uh, four in each direction to one in each direction at 100 gigabits. And, for example, at 400 gigabits, which is now being standardized by IEEE, instead of 16 strands in each direction, each operating at 25 gig, you'll be able to collapse that down to four strands in each direction with four fibers each carrying 100 gigabits a piece. And if we increase the lane rate to 50 gigabits per second, then we'll get a further reduction in the number of strands or the number of lasers on the same number of strands. All of this works in uh, concert to reduce the cost of the total system on the cabling because you're needing fewer strands of glass and on the transceiver, by making it uh, more efficient, as you move up into the data rate, higher data rates, you need fewer lasers.
0: Okay, and you mentioned the the uh, demonstration last month out in California. Is the uh, is the technology going to be made market ready here in the short term?
4: Uh, well, that's a good question. Yes, um, two things. Uh, Finisar's announcement at OFC was to say that they were going to bring out a 40 gigabit shortwave division multiplexing transceiver which will operate at 10 gigabits per lane on each of four colors the four shortwave color uh, wavelengths I mentioned before and it will operate on OM3 and OM4 and wideband and of course you will be able to go further and further distance on each of those three different types of fiber. ComScope is also planning to release a product within this year. I believe it's targeting the third quarter, uh, and um, it will be a wideband product, such as we demonstrated with Finisar. Um, it will look um, and well, it'll look and terminate like traditional fiber. It won't be visibly different, other than perhaps the sheath color. Um, so it will be it will be distinguishable from OM3 and OM4 because of this new property. And uh, that you'll be able to immediately tell if you've got this wideband fiber in that you can now do these extended reach or extended bit rate uh, uh, application support over your cabling. So yes, we will see both transceivers as well as new cabling products come out within this year uh, both in going in this direction of supporting shortwave division, multiplexing uh, on wide band fiber.
0: That was Paul Colasar. He's an engineering fellow at a uh, Comscope. And that was also me interviewing Paul Colasar oh, really? engineering fellow. Excellent you,
1: job, Sean.
0: You may be asking yourself at home, well, wait, you're wearing different clothing. And in that clip, you were seated at a table. Uh, don't worry. That's just the magic of television. It's amazing. We do that all day long. That's right. It's editing. All right. Well, Chris, I, uh, I want to put in a plug here. Uh, our viewers will notice one of our sponsors, PCIA, the Wireless Infrastructure Show. That's coming up April 27th to 30th at the beautiful Weston Diplomat in sunny Hollywood, Florida. My right. old stomping grounds. All and, uh, right. I put in the plug because I will be hosting a panel there this year. We'll be talking about Backhaul, the spine of the network. We've got some great guests from Clearfield Wireless, from Expo, and from Dragon Wave. Should be a lively discussion.
1: You'll find Sean there when he's not by the pool.
0: That's right, by the sunny pool at yeah. the Weston Diplomat in beautiful for Hollywood, sure. Florida. Yeah, for sure. I really like it down there, though. That's I, I moved to Austin from uh, Key West, Florida, and spent some time in the Miami-Lauderdale area before that, and it uh, it truly is a lawless swamp. I really thrived.
1: <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Are you t- You're talking about Austin, right? No, <laughs> Florida. Oh. <clears throat>
0: It's also a little... It's hot here and we have the humidity, but the mosquitoes, a little better. Better here? Yep.
1: Good. Well, that's good.
0: All right, well, Chris, I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of HetNet Happenings. I want to thank our editor, Martha DeGrasse, our guest from National Instruments, and of course, Paul Colasar from Comscope. For a lot more telecommunications, news, and multimedia content, you can visit rcrwireless.com. You can check out the RCR TV Plage. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You said Plage. Pillow Plage. Pardon me. We'll have to run through the script earlier. That's man, best in the business. Chris Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to HetNet Happenings. We'll see you next week.
1: HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter, at Kinney RCR.
4: To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.